1: Remember what you said You'll return that I might live In my Father's house
2: So I believe in a supreme being I also believe that that supreme being Cares for me, loves me John's Gospel in chapter 3 and verse 16 You know it For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God demonstrated his love towards us. So I hold on to that belief. I have faith. I put my faith in that belief that God loves me.
0: The Bible has a lot of truth to tell you. It says that Jesus is the Son of God. It claims that he died for your sin. It promises that if you believe in Jesus and ask Him to be your Savior, you will be forgiven. Scripture tells you that then you are a son or daughter of the Creator of the world. But even though the Bible says all of these things, there's still a part you have to play. You need to decide if you believe it. Pastor Michael shared today what a blessing and benefit it is to trust Scripture and to live your life in its truth. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 as he begins his message, Willingly Ignorant.
2: This is a part of our Living Faithfully series studies in the book of 2 Peter. And the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 5 through 7. And the title is Willingly Ignorant. So let's go ahead and read that text of scripture and then we'll ask God's blessing on our time together as we study his word. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. For this they willfully forget. He's referring to those false teachers that had infiltrated uh, the early church that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and the petition of ungodly men. Father, we pray now that you bless our time together as we treat this text of Scripture, God, as always, would ask that the Holy Spirit would open it up to us. God, that we would receive understanding, instruction. Lord, that we would be exhorted, Lord, through it. Lord, that it would serve to move us closer to you, to help us become a little bit more like Jesus. God, we thank you. Bless now. And God, is always, I'd ask that my words would be your words. God, help hope you to only say those things that you want me to say. Lord, tell this message to meet specific needs. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again... Willingly ignorant. Okay, so last time together, if you remember, our attention was drawn to by Peter, these false teachers, who, as I've already mentioned, infiltrated the early church, the first century church, who refuted the doctrine of the return of Christ. And notice that's what Peter is dealing with here in this section of chapter 3. This is just one of many teachings and doctrines that they had refuted. Their grounds, notice, is recorded first there in the latter part of verse 4, where we are told, and this is their belief, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so that was one of the reasons why they attacked this particular doctrine of the second coming or the return of Jesus Christ. So anyway, immediately, Peter grasps hold of, takes the opportunity to reflect upon the past to deal with this issue, thus revealing the profound ignorance of these men. Now, first of all, notice what Peter says of them. They are willingly ignorant, and that's where we get the title, obviously, of this evening's message from. That is, they did not want to know the truth. Listen, they knew the facts. Remember, they had said with other members in their congregations, they heard the truths, but they would not embrace them. Uh, They just refused to accept them, which is really a most grievous sin. That is the sin of unbelief. Unbelief has been described in this way. Unbelief is the closed door that shuts out the unsaved from the love, mercy, and the peace of God. You know, Bertrand Russell, the famous British philosopher, gave the world the now infamous, what is known as the Ten Commandments of Liberalism. And the first commandment reads, Do not feel absolutely certain of anything. Listen, anyone that holds to that belief is just a tragic thing. I mean, my heart goes out to anyone who subscribes to that falsehood. I mean, without a sure footing in this life, an anchor for our souls, without a thus saith the Lord, I would get swallowed up and drowned in an angry sea of confusion. So how wonderfully blessed we are as Christians because our lives are established on the absolutes and certainties of God and his word. For example, here are just some of the things that I personally have placed my trust in. First of all, I believe in a supreme being. Let's take you back to the first book of the Bible, the first verse in the Bible in Genesis chapter one and verse one. We are told there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I believe in a supreme being. I also believe that that supreme being cares for me, loves me. John's Gospel in chapter 3, in verse 16, you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So God demonstrated his love towards us. So I hold on to that belief. I have faith. I put my faith in that belief that God loves me. Also, we are told in the scripture, I believe that that supreme being became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. So I believe in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In John's gospel in chapter one, in verse 14, there we are told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I also trust in the Bible, in the 119th Psalm, in verse 160. There we are told the entirety of your Word is true right from the very beginning. Listen, I trust implicitly in God's Word, the Bible, in 2 Timothy in chapter 3 and verse 16. There we are told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is God breathe? I believe in Christ's atonement, dying in on my place on the cross for my sin. He became sin for us who knew no sin. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 and verse 3, we are told that Christ died for our sins. So that's another truth that I hold on to, that I believe in, that I put my trust in. I believe that I've become one of God's kids. In John's Gospel in chapter 1 and verse 12, The Bible tells us there, but as many as believe, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters of God. So we have that assurance through Christ. We are God's children. I believe that God is working on his perfect plan in and through my life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. So listen, there are scores of facts revealed in God's word that if believed, and we open our hearts and live to the glory of eternity and joy. Now, in answer to the argument of these false teachers, that all things continue as they were from the very beginning of creation, Peter reflects on an important incident that obviously they had overlooked. What am I referring to? Well, he reminds them of the flood in the days of Noah, where God destroyed the earth. A definite divine interruption, and intervention in the affairs of man. Let's go back to our text. Let's read verses 5 and 6 one more time. For this they willfully forgot, these false teachers, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, God just spoke everything into existence, the physical universe, and the earth, standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, referring to the flood, being flooded with water. Now, Peter here in those verses points out several things. First of all, notice the heavens and the earth were created by God's Word. It was not a conglomeration of chance elements, for as we look to creation, we find definite evidence of design and order. You know, Dr. Alfred Russell Wallace wrote a book, the title of that book was Man's Place in the Universe, and he speaks of a host of marvelous adjustments in the world about us. For example, he states, If the earth's density were only one-tenth less than it is, almost the whole of it would be reduced to snow and ice-clad waste. If it was any larger than that, it would be even more devastating. Well, anyway, this all points to a supreme, all-wise creator. The earth is his handiwork. And listen, God is the creative genius. Not only has he created the physical universe, but he also sustains it. Let us not be deceived by the satanic and diabolical teachings of the day. This actually kind of reminds me of in the book of Psalms in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3. There we are told, and I think that these false teachings would fall into the same category, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So this actually reminds me of what is recorded there in that second psalm. Well, anyway, irrespective of what unbelieving men teach, God's word remains true. You know, there's this story uh, concerning Sir Isaac Newton. You remember the great scientist. He's known for his theory on the subject of gravity. And it goes like this. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who, like himself, was a great scientist. The friend was an infidel or an unbeliever, while Newton was a devout believer. I don't know if you knew that or not they often locked horns over the question of who made it. Though their mutual interest in science drew them together frequently, Newton had a skillful mechanic make him a replica of our solar system in miniature. In the center was a large guided ball representing the sun and revolving around uh, this were smaller balls fixed on the ends of arms of varying lengths uh, representing uh, planets like Mercury, Venus, our Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, and Neptune in their proper order. And these balls were so geared together by cogs and belts as to move in perfect harmony by turning a crank. Now, one day, as Newton sat reading in his study with this mechanism on a large table near him, his unbelieving friend stepped in. He was a scientist who could recognize at a glance what was before him. So walking up to it, he slowly turned the crank and with undisguised admiration watched the heavenly bodies move in their relative speeds, in their orbits. Standing off a few feet, he exclaimed, My, what an exquisite thing this is! Who made it? Now without looking up from his books, Newton answered, Nobody! Quickly turning to Newton, the unbeliever said, Evidently, you did not understand my question. I asked you who made this thing. Newton, looking up again, solemnly assured him that nobody made it, but that the aggregation of matter had just happened, to assume the form it was in. But the astonished unbeliever replied with some heat, You must think I am a fool. Of course somebody made it, and he is a genius and I would like to know who he is. Well, laying his book aside, Newton arose from the table and laid a hand on his friend's shoulder. And he said, this thing is but a puny imitation of a much grander system whose laws you know, he said. I am not able to convince you that this mere toy is without a designer and a maker. Yet you profess to believe that the great original from which the design is taken has come into being without either designer or maker. Now, tell me, by what sort of reasoning do you reach such conflicting conclusion? The unbeliever was at once convinced and convicted, and he became a firm believer. Listen, that's a true story. So anyway, I wanted to pass that along to you. I found it very interesting. Well, anyway, further, Peter now, let's go back to our text, and reflecting on the past, addressing these unbelievers, Peter declares, these false teachers, not only did he create the universe, God creating the universe, he has the power to destroy it. Notice what it says there in verse 6. He says, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. Again, speaking of the flood during the days of Noah. You see, all things did not continue as they were from the beginning. So Peter blows holes in their theory, in their uh, teaching. And we can be sure that in the future, all things will not be the same as well. God will purge the earth. You know, I'm thinking about those cataclysmic judgments that take place during the seven years of tribulation, as is recorded first in the book of uh, Revelation. Islands will flee, mountains crumble. The sun will be turned into darkness as God is purging the earth. He's uh, pouring out his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world. Listen, gang, the only reason that life continues to exist today, that is the earth, its inhabitants, the sun, the moon, the stars, is because simply God maintains it. Let me give you a text of scripture, a verse of scripture that refers to this very thing. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him, and in context, if you read the previous verses uh, leading up to this text, they're referring to and speaking of Jesus, for by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, or more literally, are held together. And listen, how true that is. Let me give you an example of this. We know that all matter, physical matter, is made up of atoms, and in the nucleus of an atom are these positive charges. There are clusters of them. They are protons. Now, According to Coulomb's law of electricity, it states that positive charges repel one another. So what holds those positive charges in the nucleus of the atom together? What holds all matter together? Well, scientists have come up with this bogus theory. Their answer is atomic glue. What is atomic glue? Where does it come from? Which is nothing more than a fabrication. Well, listen, we know the answer to that question. It is Jesus who holds all things together, and it is through him that all things exist. Well, anyway, judgment will never again be meted out upon the earth in the form of water. That was a promise that God had made. But Peter tells us that there will be a judgment by fire. Notice there in verse 7. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word presently, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So this will ultimately climax in the day of judgment, the great white throne judgment specifically. And this is going to be a very sorrowful affair in that day the wicked of every age will stand before a holy, just, and righteous God to be judged for their sins. And nothing is more certain than that judgment. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think will be the basis of that judgment? When they stand before God and they give an answer, what do you think uh, the basis of that judgment before God will be? Do you think it will be all about morality, that they were basically a good person and that will get them into heaven? Or uh, being a member of a certain religious organization, a member of Harvest Christian Fellowship? Well, the answer to those questions are no. There'll only be one question that will be asked of that person. And that question will be, what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ? Have you received him or haven't you received him? Have you rejected him? Well, listen, folks, this judgment is going to come one day. Now, these false teachers would have you to believe. Listen, don't get excited. Don't be disturbed. There's no such thing as a judgment because all things are going to continue as they were right from the very uh, beginning. Listen, gang, that's not so. That's a falsehood. So listen, maybe you've been putting off Making the decision for Christ. Maybe you're sitting on the fence. Or maybe you have made a decision for Christ, but you really haven't taken that decision seriously. You're still kind of sitting on the fence. You've been too busy. You've been occupied with other matters, matters of this life, making money. Listen, all of these things are meaningless. You know, there's this story that I wanted to share with you. It actually took place years ago. Some men went to Alaska seeking gold, and they went far into the interior of Alaska. And one day they came upon a miner's hut. It seemed to be as quiet as a grave. Entering the hut, they found the skeletons of two men and a large quantity of gold. On a rough table in the hut was a letter. It told about their successful hunt for gold. When they found the gold, they were so eager to get it that they forgot about the early coming of winter. Each day, they found more gold and more gold. The fall passed by, and then winter approached. One morning, the men awoke to find a great snowstorm upon them. For days, the snow fell. It became deeper and deeper. Soon, there was no hope of escape. All the food was used up. Then the men laid down and died in the midst of their gold. The two miners had coveted gold. Their only thought was to get more gold. They forgot to provide for the coming of the winter in that far north land. Listen, today there are many who covet gold in one form or another. And the perishing things of this world and they neglect to prepare for heaven. Listen, don't make that same mistake. Turn to God now. Let go of that which holds you back from a complete commitment to serving the Lord Jesus Christ and walking with Him. Even though it appears as if things will continue as they have always been, right from the very beginning of time, the scripture declares judgment is approaching. And listen, when that, after that judgment approaches, the only thing that those individuals have to look forward to, I don't know if they're going to be looking forward to it, but is hell. So here's the question. Are you ready to meet God? So let's bow our heads together and pray. Join me together in prayer. Father, help us not to be lulled into some spiritual sleep. God, help us to be aware of the signs of the time in which we live. Help us to be concerned about the things of the Spirit and walking after the things of the Spirit. And help us to stand on the absolutes and certainties of your Word, the Bible. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone say, Amen.
1: In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's
0: We're so glad you joined us today for In My Father's House. Pastor Mike has been taking you through the book of 2 Peter, a New Testament letter that speaks much about holiness. As the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. In a world full of temptations, it can be difficult to live a holy, set-apart life, to live a holy life of only good and pure things. But if you put your hope in the holy things, the worldly things become meaningless and empty. Where are you seeking true purpose? Is it in the world or in the Word? The world is sure to let you down, but God's Word is sure. We'd love to connect and pray with you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. Call us at 212-247-1877. Again, that's 212 247 1877. If you're unsure what knowing Jesus means, visit HarvestNYC.org and look under Resources for How to Know God. You can also find more messages from Pastor Mike on our website. Again, that's HarvestNYC.org. Or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. Search for In My Father's House with Mike Fenizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. There's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Find service times on our website. Well, that's it for today, but be sure to join us again right here on In My Father's House.